When you're trying to raise kids and teach them right from wrong, words are not enough. Because you can teach them, you can warn them, but sometimes you just have to bring actions. A timeout, restriction, withholding of privileges. You need words and actions to raise kids. Warnings include words and actions. Now in the book of Revelation, we are in the part of the book that talks about the trumpet judgments. These are warnings, limited judgments that are meant to call our attention to God, to cause the earth to look up towards heaven and to consider their life and their fate. The trumpets are judgments, but actions are not enough. We also need words. And this is the meaning of Revelation chapter 10. So now let's look at where we are in the book. Remember, we had the four horsemen. These are things that are always going on on the earth. And then you had some angels holding back the, the, the natural forces of the earth until God's people were sealed. And then we have the seven trumpets. These are different warnings, uh, temporary limited judgments that come to the earth. Now, at this point of the book, we'll go to the next slide. Remember, there were six seals. There was an interlude, and then there was a seventh seal. When you open the seventh seal, it gave way to seven trumpets. But we heard the six trumpets. Now there's an interlude. This is where we are. And uh, this interlude will happen just before the seventh trumpet. This is where we are in the book. And in our passage today, you will hear or read about four voices. One is the voice of the Apostle John. He records what he sees and hears. One is the voice of a mighty angel. The other is the voice of seven thunders. This will be the voice of God. And then there is another voice who is not identified, and I will not speculate or guess on who that is. I just don't know. But here is the text. It's the entire chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in it, he said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, 
The mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Now our passage begins by describing a mighty angel who's so colossal his legs are on the uh, sea and on the land and not all angels are the same. Some are mightier than others. They have ranks. By the description of this angel, this is a mighty angel with lots of authority over the surface of the earth. But even though this angel is mighty, it's, it's still a servant of God. And when this angel shouts, it roars, it sounds like the roar of a lion. And then there was another voice that joined it as it shouted, and this was the voice of seven thunders. And throughout the Old Testament, the voice of God is described as sounding like thunder. And this passage is echoed in Jeremiah chapter 25, an Old Testament prophet, where it's written, The Lord will roar from on high. He will thunder from his holy dwelling and roar mightily against the land. He will shout like those who tread the grapes, shout against all who live on the earth. The tumult will sound to the ends of the earth. For the Lord will bring charges against the nations. He'll bring judgment on all mankind and put the wicked to the sword. So the Lord thunders his warning upon the earth. And what John hears, he's about to write down, but a voice tells him, don't write it down. Seal it up. That means it awaits a a future fulfillment at a future day when the full meaning of it will be revealed. So God reveals to us what he wants us to know. Other things await a future time when he will make things known. And so accept the fact that God does not tell us everything. But everything we need to know and he wants us to know, he reveals that to us. Sometimes he holds back the full picture until the full picture is complete. There are some painters who conceal their painting until the painting is done. There are some authors who will give you a few chapters of their book. They'll tell you the plot, but you don't read the whole book until the whole book is complete. It's so that when the picture is done and when the book is complete, you marvel at the authorship or the skill of the painter. This is what God does. 
And so Revelation will actually give us the plot for God's plan of redemption from the beginning of man until the end of the age of man. We'll see the plot. We'll see the illustrations uh, drawn for us and imagery and a metaphor, but details and timing are left out. But we will marvel when the whole story is complete. Well, after this, the mighty angel swore an oath to God. No more delay. The angel is saying, this time of the trumpets that are temporary, limited judgments on the earth, they are past. The seventh trumpet will sound and that will usher in seven bowls of wrath upon the earth. Now, uh, we are living in the time of the seven trumpets. We see disasters on the earth. We see plague and pandemic. We see nations warring against each other. We see world leaders being humbled. These are warnings meant to get people's attention, to get them to look to God, to cry out to God, to perhaps take account of their lives, to perhaps to consider that their life is precarious and their life is mortal, and to get them thinking about eternity. When these judgments come with the preaching of the gospel, come with our words, then this time actually becomes a time of repentance and grace. God is saying to the earth, do I have your attention yet? I want you to be saved. Come to me and receive my grace. Now, in last week's sermon, Matt preached from chapter 9, and the week before that, Pastor Mike preached from chapter 8, and um, we hear about warnings that come to the earth, but even after all these warnings, it says that the inhabitants of the earth still would not repent. But here in chapter 10, we're reading God's still not going to give up on them. He's going to tell John what the church is to be doing before the day of calamity comes. And so John is told to act out what the church is supposed to be doing. This is not unlike the prophet Ezekiel, where throughout the book of Ezekiel, God tells the prophet to act out the prophecies he's supposed to uh, share with Israel. Now, I'm going to read a portion of Ezekiel as an example of what John is also supposed to do. So this is Ezekiel speaking. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He then said to me, Son of man, now go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel. And so the prophet Ezekiel is acting out 
what he is doing. He's taking the word of God, he's consuming it, becomes part of him, and now he's going to go and preach to the house of Israel. Now John too receives a scroll. He too is supposed to eat it, but when he eats it, it tastes sweet, but it turns his stomach bitter or sour. And so the word given to him to preach will be sweet to some and bitter to others. Some people will love the message. Others, when they hear it, will become angry. And it's the gospel that does this. And the gospel is basically this. We've sinned. We've rebelled against God's ways, but God wants us reconciled to himself. He offers us mercy. He offers us grace. And this grace is offered in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Receive his grace and be saved. To some, that sounds sweet. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And for others, it sounds bitter. How dare you call me a sinner? How dare you even think that God would judge us? Do away with him. Let's throw off his chains and shake off his fetters. Some people won't like the message. It will make them angry. But others will receive his grace and welcome it. It will be something sweet. And these he will save, these he will put his seal upon, and these will be saved from the wrath to come. Now, uh, why do we even have to talk about judgment anyway? Why can't God just be nice about things and not get mad at anybody or anything? Well... Do you want justice? Do you want wrongs to be made right? If there is no justice in the universe, then Vladimir Putin and Jeffrey Epstein share the same fate as Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. What difference does it make? But if there is a, 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 a thing as justice, then there has to be a judgment. And don't you at times see evil upon the earth and you cry out to God and you say, God, when are you going to do something about evil? God is not deaf to these cries. God is just. God is holy. He will do something about evil. Furthermore, the world as a whole calls the ways of God restraints. They reject his person. They persecute his saints. Some nations even rejoice that his saints are killed. God's supposed to turn a blind eye to that and do nothing? No, the Lord loves his holiness. His ways are good. His saints are precious. If you continue in that way, calamity and judgment, wrath falls upon you. 
There comes a time when the stench of sin from the earth rises to heaven and God says no more. The time of grace and repentance is past. Now the time of wrath will come. We are living in the time of repentance and grace when God is seeking to be reconciled to us. Most of us heard the gospel of grace. We welcomed it. We received him. We love him. His seal is upon us, and we try to please him. But John is told after he eats the scroll, you must continue to prophesy to many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And I think what John is being told here, this is what you and the church are supposed to be doing during this time of repentance and grace. You're continuing to prophesy. Now prophecy, we think of it as prophecy as some prophet predicting the future. But, but read the prophets. Most of what they say is not predictive. Often they're calling the people to repentance or they're telling the people, here's the Lord's heart, he wants you to return. They give some kind of exhortation and only a fraction of it is predictive. And so when we're told to prophesy, we're told to take the message of God and make it known to people. And so here's the message we are to bring to people and to all the inhabitants of the earth. God wants you to return. There's forgiveness. There's mercy. There's grace. Come and receive it in the person of Jesus. Now we are the church, right? It isn't this building. It's you. You're the church. You're the church whether you are one person doing grocery shopping during the day or whether we are working as a unit to support missionaries throughout the earth, we are the church. And we are to take the message of Christ to others. And we start by having spiritual conversations with people. And spiritual conversations are there if you look for them. I was having breakfast this week with uh, someone and uh, I used my church credit card to pay for it because they were guests, from guests of the church. And uh, the waitress saw my credit card and said, your card says Eastminster Church on it. She goes, I play disc golf on your disc golf course. Now, I could have said, that's nice. But I said, yes, I attend that church, and I'm the pastor of the church, and... That disc golf course is a gift to the community. It reflects our kindness and our heart for the city, which really comes from the kindness and heart of Christ. She goes, wow, I think I might visit your church, but I work on Sunday mornings. And I says, well, that's okay. We have a service on Thursday night at 6.30, and it meets right by the disc golf course. I asked, what's your name? And she told me her name. I'll see her again. 
But now, we've begun a spiritual conversation. Step one, as we go, we're looking for spiritual conversations. Step two, sometimes you just have to get out of the Christian bubble. I live in a Christian bubble, so I'm preaching to myself. I live with Christians. I work with Christians. I don't get many opportunities out there, so I have to look for and create opportunities to get out of the bubble. Some of you live in the bubble. My friends are Christians. I either work with Christians or I don't work anymore and now I just hang around with Christians. And You know, you have to get out of the bubble. You actually have to think of ways to interact with the world because they need the message. A third thing we can do is pray for people and serve them. So if someone shares with you a concern, pray for them right there. Or if it's a need that you can meet, serve them. Fourth thing, try to have spiritual conversations. A few weeks ago, my daughter calls me. She says, Dad, I have this coworker, and she was uh, going rock hunting. She's a rock hound. Do you know what that is? Hunting rocks. It's like you pick up interesting rocks. All right, okay. She goes, she was going rock hunting, and I said to her, oh, my dad's a geologist, or was a geologist, and now he's a pastor. And this co-worker answers back to her, why would your dad give up something useful and do something useless? <laughs> she said, I've never heard that before. And I go, honey, lots of people would think that way, especially if they're a materialist. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to re-engage this co-worker that you see every day. And you're going to say to her, you know, I was thinking about what you said about what my dad does. Um, when he died, do you think he just died? Do you think you're just dead? Or do you think there's something after? That has a deal with the soul. And after people die, do you think there's some kind of accountability or you think just everyone ends up the same, whether you're Hitler or Putin or, or Mother Teresa. That has to do with the soul. And have you ever felt like, I have everything, and yet I feel empty? Those are matters of the soul, and my dad tends to the soul. My dad quit geologies because he thought it was temporary. Yeah, he finds some oil, they turn it into gas, your car runs on the gas for a little while, we turn it into plastic bottles that end up in a landfill, but it's temporary. My dad thought the things that are truly valuable in the world are people and eternity. He decided to invest his life there. If you ever want to have a spiritual conversation with me, I'd be glad to have it. We look for spiritual conversations. And then, if they talk to you of spiritual things, tell them about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you know who he is? 
Do you know what he's done? Has he done anything for you ever? You can tell people about it. We had to do this with all peoples. And as a church, we join forces in bringing this to different language groups and nations. And some of us have the privilege of speaking before kings. Now, uh, when you look at the Old Testament prophets, a lot of times they are addressing the king and they're talking about the king's policies. And today we might think, boy, if you talk to the king about the king's policies, that's politics. And preachers aren't supposed to talk about politics. But what if the policy of the king is ungodly? What if nations suffer for the actions of kings? Then the prophet must speak to the king. This is the time of repentance and grace. We offer it and preach it before the day of calamity comes. Whether that day be the day you die, whether it's the day that judgment comes upon your nation, or whether the wrath of God is poured out on the earth. We don't know when the time of repentance and grace will end. But the mighty angel will shout out, there will be no more delay. And when it is spoken, the bowls of wrath will come. A couple of days before I left for Spain, that was a great mission trip, by the way. The spirit moved in powerful ways. And you'll hear about it next week, Sunday, if you want. But a few days before I left for Spain, I get a message from the church saying, our people are afraid of the war in Europe. They're afraid of the nuclear threat. Can you say something about that? I had already written my sermon, so I thought, oh, I'll work it in somehow. But what do you say to people who are afraid of being nuked? Here's what I say to them. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That nuke might land on your head. Okay, but you're saved. You're his. You enter eternity. The worst thing in the world is not death. The worst thing in the world is to die lost. So bring the lost to Christ. This is where the energies of the church must be focused. But where do churches spend their energies? I don't like the carpet. Why did you put that carpet? I don't like that praise music. Oh, that's awful. But you know what? I think traditional hymns are boring. They start fighting. Or they uh, complain about the grass or the trees or 
Why did he put the flag there, not somewhere else, right? Think of all the things that people have angst about, all the things people get upset about in church. Think about them. This is energy turned against, energy turned inward, energy backwards and energy sideways when the energy of the church to be forward and outward bringing the message to the nations. Whatever angst you have about anything else that happens in church, let me tell you where your angst should belong. It's that every day people die in our city and in our nation, in the world, and they die without Christ. And so we want to channel our energies forward and outward to take the message of Christ to people around us and to the nations. Now, I said at the beginning of the sermon that judgments alone are not enough because you need words. And words alone are not enough. Sometimes our words need teeth. Your good life might give your message credibility, but you still have to articulate the message. Silence does not save. During this time of repentance and grace, God is providing the actions. He is providing the judgments. He tells us, you provide the words. Words I have already given you to preach. Let's say you're a person who lives on a busy street. And that street is a long street, a long gradual downhill. A new family moves onto your street and you see the kids in that new family playing on the street. And you know that trucks often come down that street, they build up speed as they come down, and those kids are playing there. Do you warn them? Or do you think, well, if you get hit, that's on you? Or that's their parents' responsibility, not mine. What would you do? Would you warn them? Would that be right? What if you said nothing and they were hit? Then how would you feel? Judgments are bearing down on the earth because words are not enough. And you see them, don't you? Racial unrest, pandemic, Humiliation in Afghanistan, war in Ukraine, they're already coming and more are coming. The ultimate answer is Christ. 
For the worst thing is not to die. It is to be lost. God is sending the judgments. Our words make this a time of grace and repentance. Use your words.